G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann. And today I'm having a chat with an old friend, Anthony Tran. He's a migration agent and he's got lots of insights to give us on why people are looking to move to Perth and what sort of impact this may have on our property markets. Got lots of really interesting things we covered. Let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. G'day, Anthony. Really excited to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for joining us. All right. It's my pleasure. So tell us a bit about your background because I know we've crossed paths over the years and you had a brief stint working with me as a sales agent, did really well over that period, but you had so many other things potentially uh, calling you <laughs> and it seems like you landed in being in the migration space and have been doing an excellent job there. So give us some background on things. Yeah. So essentially, um, you know, after I moved to China and I was working there, for a bit, I had the opportunity to work with you, obviously at Investors Edge, and had a wonderful, fantastic time learning a lot about the Perth property market. Obviously, during my time in China, I did work in the property and migration space. And once I came back, I felt like you know I should continue on that venture. And luckily, you guys picked me up. Uh, I learned a lot from the industry. I learned a lot about clients' expectations. But obviously, over time, I evolved into the migration space, and you know went forward with that, and uh, essentially became a migration agent. And I deal with you know high net worth clients. From Asia, essentially helping their children or their family members and their businesses to invest in Australia. But essentially, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the background of where I came from and how I started. And this journey is obviously, you know, very fruitful. I get to work with people like yourself. And how's the last few years been? Because obviously, with COVID, it would have been really disruptive. And, you know, have you just been twiddling your thumbs or have you, you know, have you had, I know it would have picked up a lot lately, but yeah, no, take no, us actually, through this period. It was a great time to review strategy is a great time to maintain relationships. As you can imagine, when you walk around the streets and you tell people that you're a migration agent and every Tom, Dick and Harry wants advice. So it was actually good to have some downturn, but also allow us to review our marketing strategies and, and enter the market accordingly. So we spent the last two years actually building education side of the firm, uh, which allows us to get overseas students to come over, which was great. It was a great opportunity to work with education institutions, especially those that survived COVID. It was actually very busy. You know, unfortunately, people continuously do the wrong thing and get their visas cancelled and, right. you know... Well. Out. So it never really ended, really. Okay. Well, it's fabulous that you got through because I guess if COVID took out the weaker operators and it's probably cleaned out your industry a bit too, hopefully. Yeah. So <laughs> change can be a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, it got rid of all the part-timers. People weren't really dedicated to the industry, you know. So uh, Excellent. it was a good refresher, to be honest. I actually thoroughly enjoyed the whole experience, to be honest. Hmm. Didn't have to fly out. So that was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I know you got a lot of trips uh, coming up ahead. So it was very hard to pin you down for this interview, wasn't it? So yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a bit about your what you actually do with your role and responsibilities, because those of us that were lucky enough to be born in Australia, well, we probably wouldn't know what too much about the process, would we? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's funny that you say that because it's always the, the partners or foreigners who are the most confused. And I guess the good thing about myself is that I'm Australian born Vietnamese, where you know I understand both aspects, and I always help people to understand 
understand this is how policy is, this is the way forward. So essentially my role is to mitigate issues that people may have when they want to migrate here. You know, students for one, they come over here and they study and they want to get their residency through their education, but they're unable to find work, they're unable to be linked to the right operators or perhaps even get any experience at all. And we have to find pathways for them. We have people who have family members who residing overseas and they want to be reunited. I do the tourist visas or I'll find other ways to migrate through the family program. But of course, you know, our bread and butter is in the business visa space where we help investors to invest in Australia, also help them to, you know, find property, find businesses, but also try to link them with the right people, you know, the accountants, the lawyers, the people that they the whole need. Team, yeah. It's yeah, never because, just, you know, in isolation, is it? The hard thing about it, Jared, is that everyone that's uses a representative in, let's say, Malaysia, those guys only have an office in Malaysia and mm. they don't have a representative here. And what happens is that, you know, I had another guy recently who landed here and she's a doctor. She's like, oh, my migration agent promised me that she'll help me to buy a restaurant. And I'm like, why would you open a restaurant? Like, what do you know about opening a restaurant? <laughs> and operation agent promised you that. And then what happened was they essentially got dumped and um, they're roaming here around Perth trying to find business to buy. They didn't know who to talk to. Uh, spent, you know, 50,000 US dollars. And I guess the pressure of that situation can also cause people to make, you know, poor decisions on, you know, ending up with the wrong business or it must be a very interesting space. It is, you know, like for instance, I had another doctor that came over in Malaysia. Essentially, you're able to be the doctor and get a prescription and you earn your revenue from selling medication. You can't do that here, right? I mean, if you're a doctor and you come over here, you need to be able to be registered and, and practice your craft. And the pharmacy sells the prescription medications, not you. So, yeah, wow. So lots of differences between the roles, responsibilities and licensing and yeah, lots right. of complexity. That's right. And then they barely scrape in with the minimum asset requirements. And then, you know, they come over here and they realize they don't even have a job. They just spend $2.5 million and they need to hold hold that money there for four years and they have no income and they essentially need to either rent a property or, or buy a property and it gets quite sad that they weren't really properly prepared and you know yeah. we're here to hold their hands unfortunately being onshore we have to do a bit of above and beyond you know I would actually prefer to be outside right and send these people through so essentially for us we do full services for our migrants and try to make sure that they embed themselves in society uh, without much issues yeah mm. yeah it must be tough but just making that whole picking up your whole life moving here, you know, not knowing anything about suburbs, locations, you know, where to start. So, oh, imagine trying to tell, um, you know, the uh, a, a, a migrant that to call an electrician out will cost you like $80 to $150 call out fee. <laughs> and they just don't understand it. They convert it back to their currency. They're like, why? You know, it shouldn't cost this much. And I'm like, well, welcome to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the land of uh, plenty of bills. <laughs> but of uh, bills, please. Everyone's got a fair life here. So it's all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, the flip side is when they go out into the workforce, you know, they can get paid accordingly as well. Hopefully <laughs> once they've got, you know, the relevant expertise behind them. So mm. what are some of the different ways people actually migrate to Perth? Lots of different categories and different people that you help. Yeah, so essentially when you migrate, there's the core visas that you can do that's available across the country. But Western Australia in particular is considered as a designated regional area. Ah, yes, we did get that classification again a few years back, didn't we? So yeah, yeah. So what does that actually mean, 
Anthony, yeah. So what's happened with that was that we have a visa subclass called the 494, and that allows medium-skilled migrants to migrate here and, and obviously get their permanent residency by having three years' work experience and working for an employer for three years. So you're in Victoria, you couldn't do this in Melbourne itself. So a lot of people started to consider moving to Perth because it allowed them to have occupations such as marketing specialists. These sort of roles were available now in Perth. Um, we're not talking about, you know, the everyday administration roles or warehouse managers. You know, we're talking about still bachelor degrees or some vocational occupations. And that created a lot of, which, how do I say, a lot of opportunities for people over here. It also allowed students who are studying here for two years to be given an additional five points under the points migration program where you need to score about 85 points to get your permanent residency. So being in Perth actually allowed somebody to be in a big city in that sense, live a pretty normal lifestyle and uh, obviously have pathways to permanent residency. So Mark McGowan on top of that during COVID, he expanded the occupation list and on Monday actually, he expanded our occupation list to 331 occupations. Yeah, well. And what done is that he's actually stolen all the students from uh, the East Coast and uh, he's triggered a lot of people. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> is that uh, why some of the uh, words of upsetness are going on between the premiers at the moment, potentially? It definitely is because essentially we went from high look, you have to study in Perth for two years and we will look after you for your PR. And now it's like, hey, guess what? You can get a qualification for Melbourne and I'll still accept you. <laughs> yeah, well. And then he did that after all the other states also applied the same philosophy. We will only sponsor people who study in our state. In the middle of last year, we sort of ninja this situation and provided a Schedule 2 list and uh, allowed people who have qualifications outside of Perth to migrate to Perth. So, yeah, wow, that's really exciting. And um, I've been saying for like the last year, at least in my market updates, that there's going to be a big race on between the different states as to who's going to, you know, grab the share of the migrants and how critical it is that we position ourselves. So yeah, hats off to Mark for actually putting some policy and things in place that are going to help. He's, he's expanded it to even the business visas. You know, as you can imagine in the last four or five years, Melbourne and, and Sydney has all these property developments which are funded by migrants, right? I mean, you have appeared out of nowhere. And essentially what's happened now is that both Victorian and the New South Wales government have closed the door. I mean, for instance, if you wanted to migrate migrate under the business stream to Melbourne. You need to be under 55. You need to have English. You must complete education in STEM. So in science, technology, engineering, maths, or medication, or medicine, sorry, or hold an MBA. And if you didn't actually hold such qualifications, your occupation or your career based in your home country needs to be in health, digital, agri-food, advanced manufacturing, or new energy. So essentially, they've cut off all the investors or migrants who have made themselves from uh, sheer hard work without having yeah. public. And then they, on top of that, they don't allow you to invest in property development, gift stores, convenience stores, coffee okay, shops. So they exclude that as being uh, in the other in some of the other states. Is that everywhere else? Or? That's Victoria. The New South Wales have okay. pretty much the same stance, but they're now saying that you have to be under the age of 50. You just need a bachelor's degree or three years work experience in the target sectors, which are the ones that the Victorians have. And they have a higher turnover requirement for their investments. They have a higher investment requirement too. Then you've got Queensland, which pretty much does the same thing, but limits your ability to do import and export. If you want to export, it needs to be Queensland products. If you want to import, 
people, it needs to be something that don't have, and you can't do property development. Yeah. Whereas in Australia, it's much more simple. There's age waivers, so you can even be 65 years old, and property development is allowed as long as that there's at least three dwellings per site. Okay. So that's obviously, you know, what everyone's coming into WA for now. Yeah. Uh, so I guess it can't be underestimated just how much influence this could have on our property market when someone can't go over and develop in majority of the other states and they can come here and actually do that. So, yeah, wow. The state office has obviously contacted us and wanted to meet all of our clients that are going to come over. So I definitely tell you the WA government is uh, pretty proactive in this space. Last year, we lost about, I think, 60% of the applications out of WA for wow. the moment. So we, we're one of the main guys with business visas. And obviously, you know, it's a space to look into because there's no confidence in what the Victorian and the New South Wales governments are doing. Oh, fabulous. Well, it looks like you guys are in the prime seat for helping a lot more people then. Obviously, to do from to you, don't worry. <laughs> no worries. Well, the most important thing is for them to, you know, get off on the right foot with the right people and, you know, have their first experiences be really positive so that, you know, they stay a long time and contribute to the overall economy and making this a great place to live. So that's right. That's it. So what's the process typically and how long does it take for someone to go through migration? It's years. I mean, even if you were to marry an Australian, do a spousal visa, uh, the current processing time is 33 months. It is huge, but it's also down to the fact that we have a quota on the amount of permanent residencies that we approve. And the Liberal government sets it at 168000 per year. The previous Labor government had it about 180000 So during COVID, what they did was they ramped up the partner visa to 72,000 visa grants per year, but they've now scaled back for the next financial year to 40,000. Worryingly enough, they also went from 13,000 business visa grants to 9,500. So, you know, with yeah, the quota, It's strange that they've decreased them when we should be increasing them to make up for what hasn't come. Yeah, so what they've done is they, they've ramped up the skilled sector those that have the three years work experience that can contribute professionally, you know, particularly industries uh, is what they're focusing on as well. So, you know, it's a good opportunities for, I guess, you know, quality students who are studying in the right field and have the right jobs. They're pretty secure. But those that are here just to obviously mess about, they're going to find it quite tough because the government's actually looking for global talent at the moment. So their strategy is to bring in the talent and that would obviously bring in money rather than bringing in these investors who, you know... Yeah. Um, well, we do have a job shortage, you know, and pretty much yeah. anyone that wants to get a job you'd think would be able to at the moment. And with the lowest unemployment rate in Australia for Perth, you'd think that we're crying out more than and have a lot more opportunity here for them as well. So Yeah, that's the thing. It's very strange for me because I'm so used to having accountants and all these other professionals crying to me in the past saying I can't get a job. And now they're like, oh God, I've got so many job offers. I don't know what to do. And I'm like, well, come on, scale back a bit. That's a bit arrogant. You know, <laughs> like you would be crying three or four years ago. But essentially, yeah, there's a massive skill shortage at the moment. And the good thing about it is that with all these people that are here and they've got the work experience, the Australian entities have really upskilled these migrants. You know, it's a win-win situation. Hmm. But unfortunately, you know, they did scale back on the investment visas. So with the quota and how they've rearranged it, the work visas are now more faster to be granted. And the thing that we're not too concerned about has been scaled back. And, you know, we're talking about years before some visas are getting granted. I mean, there's one visa, which is called the remaining relative visa, which is you're the last member of your family that is living abroad. That's a 50-year wait for that visa. <laughs> so does that mean that the person can still move over and 
providing they've made like an application, they can live here until it's decided? They stay on a bridging visa for 50 years. You know, it's quite difficult. So in that aspect, you know, those guys struggle to buy property because, you know, unless they want to pay FERB or do FERB. And, uh, uh, so pay- just mention, what is FERB for those that haven't come across it before? So the FIRB is the Foreign Investment Review Board and essentially... If you have a temporary visa as a non-Australian resident or citizen, you need to have permission from the federal government to purchase property, right? So there are certain rules, and this is where there's a lot of misperceptions by, by the general public that, you know, all oh, these foreigners are buying all my yeah. property. It's like, oh, you know, they're buying everything up. Yeah, that's right. Nothing happens without, you know, this foreign <laughs> investment review board. That's right. Yeah. So what happens is that um, with established properties, you know, they need, you need to have the right visa that allows you to stay here. You can't buy it on a tourist visa. You need to have a student visa, you know, a work visa and so forth. And you can't rent out the property. It needs to be your primary residence for your time in Australia to okay. conduct your visa. Should you want to buy a property as a non-visa holder or a non-permanent resident or a non-temporary visa holder, then you need to buy a new dwelling, you know? So you're going to be demolishing land or the house, have the land and, and build a new house. So this process is quite tricky because for instance, I've got some clients who are on the temporary business visas. They've invested millions of dollars and they need to ensure that they conduct their business operations accordingly. You know, most of them buy houses and then when it all goes wrong, the FRB will come in and tell them, look, you need to sell this house because you don't have a visa anymore. There is protection there, but these are things that do limit the barriers of entry in a way for, for migrants to buy property here. Yeah, understood. So is there any insights that you've got? Because you'd be at the coalface of seeing what migrants do. Do they typically you know, buy a property or do they rent do they buy in advance of coming? Like, what do they do when it comes to property, and how does that sort of usually play out? So, I would put it down to individual circumstances. There's different different cohorts out there which have a different appetite. Right, you got those that have the cash where they themselves don't want to come in and do a business visa yet because their operations are based in Asia, for instance. But they're happy to send their kids here to study. And then what they'll do is they'll buy a property. They'll buy a property for the kids. They'll treat that property as their home of their home and they'll come back and forth at, at their leisure and the kids own the property because you know they're the visa holders right yeah okay so that's the that's the big bread and butter that's the one where the students obviously have a lot of financial backing and they're quite you know academic then you've got the, the other cohort of students which uh, don't have much financial support from their families and they came over here you know with maybe ten twenty thousand dollars you know most likely they'll rent and through renting they'll spend a lot of money on education you know you're talking about tertiary education for overseas migrants are about sixty to one hundred twenty thousand dollars for a course, and then they'll start to enter the workforce through a graduate visa and try to get their permanent residency. And then from there, I find out that once they have their permanent residency, they wouldn't purchase their property to about maybe two or three years after having status in Australia to do so. so. The whole experience for them to buy a property is roughly about five or six years. Yeah, wow. So even the entrance that we're getting now may not like obviously they have to rent, they have to live somewhere. So yeah, it's so much longer than I appreciated before they get into home ownership in most cases. So in most that cases, type of person. Yeah. That type of cohort. Yeah. So 
I guess if you do meet an overseas student and they're looking to buy, most likely is that their parents have the funds for it. They're happy to pay the 11% stamp duty. You know, you do have, I guess, professionals, academics, you know, engineers, for instance, from the big mining companies. They will obviously be provided a permanent residency a lot quicker through their companies. And, and those guys will buy uh, straight away in that sense. So those guys might rent for maybe six months to a year to find their suburbs and, and, and they go from there. And then you've got the business visa market to, again, you know, they have the objective to move their operations to Australia. So, you know, they know they're committed. So they'll buy the property as a place to reside when they come into Australia. So I myself have a few migrants who have the permanent residency and pretty much treat WA as a de facto home. They're here every three, four months. They're here for about a week. They enjoy themselves and they leave. And the house is empty and I'm the guy that has to come over and, and wheel the bin out. To make sure <laughs> Going the extra mile for your services. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. It's crazy that yeah, it would just stay empty if they're not allowed to rent it out. So that's the thing. I mean, but these are they want grand. flexibility, I guess, of using it when they want to. And you know, the rent probably doesn't mean that much in the grand scheme to them. You know, thirty thousand a year drop in the bucket, probably. Yeah, so. I mean, I bet you if you go around Dal Keith, around Jutland, and things like that, a lot of those guys out there are they don't live here. A few of those properties around Manning in the uh, outside the university, a few of those guys have not come back since COVID. You know, they just stayed yeah. offshore. Yeah. But there's a lot of empty houses at the moment. Where, where migrants who have got their permanent residency haven't returned back yet. But it's just a different appetite, really. Hmm. Oh, well, that really gives us a lot better idea. So we've touched on a few reasons already, but why do you think migrants are might be choosing Perth over other capital cities from what you're seeing when you chat to them? It's really about the lifestyle. You know, I got a good understanding of this when I was in Beijing and I was working out of there. It's, you know, you'd be surprised because we take for what we have for granted, these beaches, these weather and, and so forth. When I was in China, I didn't know that food security was an issue. You know, they wanted to ensure that the food that they got was not fake. I mean, people were exporting kangaroo meat and sending it to China and labeling it as Wagyu, for instance. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's quite interesting. But a lot of the time it's lifestyle. I mean, I've been selling Perth as the California of Australia. You know, you got the same weather, you got a big multicultural diversity here. It's quite safe. You know, there's a lack of traffic. Um, there's all these beaches, there's direct flights to Asia. You know, so overall, people realize that, you know what, it's like living in California, but without the hustle and bustle, without the traffic jams. I had a gentleman before, he just left. So he went from Istanbul, he moved to Bordeaux in France. He lived there for about six, seven years. Went, moved to Calgary in Canada. Been living there for five, six years. He's built his empire in the mining industry. And then last week we flew into Perth and we had a talk and now he's moving to Perth because he feels that Perth is a, is a diverse city that has all the needs that he needs and he loves it here, you know? So it's quite interesting that you meet yeah, all these well, of all those places. I mean, oh, that puts us pretty high up, up there, Anthony, yeah. at Bordeaux in France. Exactly. Canada, yeah. wow. Hmm. We, I never really thought about it. And he goes, you know, because in Canada, you have the multiculturalism, you know, everyone's nice and friendly, just like Perth. But when winter comes, it's really cold. And then in France, you have the culture, you have the lifestyle, you have the wine, you have the produce, but you have that here in Perth. Hmm. Probably you know, not the same level of business opportunity I'd think in France per se. Yeah, that's right. So, and he's obviously got gold mines, um, you know, around the world. He thought, well, you know what? I took him down St. George's Terrace. I'm like, look, mining company, mining company, mining company, mining company. And then, you know, he's seeing all the Lamborghinis and the Rolls Royces going up and down the street. He goes, I love it. And then, yeah, in that three, four days of taking around, he decided that's the place to be. And, and it was quite funny because when I talked to him, he was like, Anthony, I want to live 45 minutes from the city along the coast. 
coast. So then he started going Google Map and then he was looking at Bunbury and, and all that sort of stuff. And then I was like, why are you looking so far? And then he realized, he goes, oh, you know what? When I got here, my imagination was that I had to live that because pricing and, and you know, traffic jams and things like that. But you know what? I love Scarborough. Scarborough's awesome. <laughs> and I was like, so you're going to buy in Scarborough? He goes, yep, that's what I'm buying. I, I didn't realize that it was that simple to live here. You know, you take it for granted what we have here in Perth and you don't actually know all these things that people value. And we have it quite good here. We have it really good. Yeah, awesome. That's one thing for me to take away and just, yeah, grateful for everything we have here. So just remember it's the California of Australia. <laughs> I'll start I'll start using that now <laughs> when I speak to my buyers from overseas. <laughs> Any other reasons to round out why you're seeing people choose us here as opposed to some of the other capitals? Um, you know, Melbourne and Sydney is, is very diluted. You know, obviously, a lot of the migrants that are coming here, they sort of want to make a name for themselves too. So I found that, you know, especially with the Chinese, for instance, and, and the Vietnamese, is that they see that, you know, there's someone that went there already and established themselves as the construction guy, as a finance guy, you know. So they're all coming here to Perth to try to make a name for themselves. So that's why you're seeing recently, you know, there's some pretty big companies that have come through here and decide to make WA the headquarters because they want to dominate this market, be engaged in their communities and be known as, you know, the, the one of the cultural leaders in a sense in their communities. So Perth has obviously been recognized as the next city after Melbourne and Sydney and uh, direct flights make it quite easy. You know, traditionally, the Singaporeans and, and the Malaysians and the Indonesians were the ones that, you know, were trying to create business here. But, you know, with how the economy has gone in, in certain countries. You know, people really recognize Western Australia. What countries are migrants coming from? You mentioned Southeast Asia there. Is there any others? Probably Asia makes the bulk of the numbers. I mean, generally speaking, every country that we target that ever run a marketing campaign wants to come to Australia, right? In reality, the core numbers, if you talk about pe migrants, people born from overseas, it's still going to be the British and the New Zealanders. You know, they're still the bulk of people, uh, the migrants that are here, right? But in terms of those that are coming here from for study, you know, went for the whole nine yards of, of doing everything, it would most likely be the Asians, the South Americans to an extent, but the South Americans don't really get into the investment side of things. They migrate here under the uh, the skilled areas, especially as engineers. A lot of the South Americans, they work for American corporations that are based out of you know Colombia and Mexico. It's quite diverse, but they're the two main areas that I would say where most of the students are coming from that we see. Yeah, okay. So any sort of predictions for the migration levels over the next one to two years and five to 10 years? What are you expecting ahead as a business? I think for us, you know, there's a golden opportunity right now for, for those who are seeking to come over here on temporary visas, such as the student and work visas. I don't imagine the numbers being less pre-COVID. I think the numbers will be higher. But in reality, the government does have a policy of how many people are granted permanent residencies every year. Mm. So currently that 160,000, right? So that's a bit difficult because right now, I mean, three weeks ago, the processing time for tourist visas was at 11 months. It was. It was <laughs> that's why you don't see any tourists at the moment. That's crazy. They, yeah, I mean, they need to upskill again. Case officers obviously need to upskill and yeah, operate. It'll decrease. Yeah, because operations Same. overseas at the other embassies, at the Australian embassies 
in Asia and Europe, you know, they were affected by obviously COVID over there and processing slowed down completely. I've got some tourist visas that are still pending for investors, which were lodged in 2019, and we still haven't got them granted yet. So it's a very mixed bag. I would say, you know, numbers will obviously be good because people recognize that Australia dealt with COVID quite well. You know, a lot of countries were exposed with their internal policies and decision making and so forth. So a lot of people see Australia as a place that, you know, it can be a good place to be. Last year, the last quarter of 2021 was the most number of permanent residents who left Canada. I don't know where they migrated. But a lot of countries have lost migrants who decided that, you know, they didn't really trust the countries that they're going to. So with where I see the direction that Australia is going, I think we will be busy as a firm. Whether or not we get the quality of investors and migrants, I'm not too sure. Whether or not the numbers of permanent residency increase, that's all up to the Labor government now. Yeah. I guess if people can perhaps see the, the number for PRs increase and actually have more of a certainty that when they come over on the temporaries that they're going to be as long a wait for the for getting PR that would certainly help you'd think so I mean, for me, if there is more marketing and more awareness created about the opportunities in the regional sectors for occupations that are not, you know, on the high end side of things, right, yeah. is something that could help the economy and people at large. Like right now, if you're an office manager, you can be sponsored for permanent residency only in regional areas like WA. So it does create that interest that there is a pathway for you. You don't really need to invest in big education, you know, contribute to our community in the regional areas and, and we will reward you. Hmm. So, well, I guess now that Mark's made those changes, they've just hmm. got to get it out there well so people know about it. And, you know, I'm sure you'll be uh, blowing the trumpet too. So <laughs> no well, change the policy on Monday saying that they now accept applications for people that are currently offshore. So I was protected for the last two years and now he's opened it to international people who perhaps worked there and, and went back home and have been unable to come back. He's welcoming graduates back to Western Australia. You know, so he's he's very proactive in that space. You know, he's not giving it to every Tom Dick and Harry. They all need pretty good English, you know, um, you know, at least eighty percent proficiency in, in a sense. They all need to have, you know, work experience and things like that. He selected the right uh, sectors, I believe. The people that I've seen that have been granted nominations from the state, they're all on pretty good salaries. They're all working at pretty good occupations, good industries and so forth. So they're doing pretty well. I mean, I have full respect to that office. They're doing very well. Awesome. That's probably a great place to leave things on and wish you all the best for your travels coming ahead. Hopefully, we just chatted beforehand that you've already had COVID. So hopefully, uh, (laughs) safe travels to you on the way. Thanks, Jared. Hopefully you can pass in. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, mate. For free market reports on your suburbs of interest and other helpful resources to grow your wealth, make sure you join my property investor update at investorsedge.com.au slash join. And finally, make sure you're a member of our Perth Property Investment Facebook group. To be part of the conversation with other like-minded investors, get help to your questions and get a feel for what's going on out there in the market. Just a reminder that the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature. As we don't know your specific situation, you should always seek professional advice before taking any action. I'll see you in the group.